Father, we um, do not take it lightly this morning that you're a God who speaks to us. And uh, we thank you so much for the privilege this morning of the freedom to hear your word. Father, thank you that we can do that gathered here as a church. And we do pray uh, that um, we would hear your voice. Father, we, we ask that as we do so, you will soften our hearts to it, and that um, we would be people who are ready and willing to listen to you. Father, in that, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would give us confidence in your gospel by your spirit. And Father, we pray uh, too um, that we would know and love you more because of what we hear. Father, we ask for the, the, the children that have just gone out as they look at this uh, passage uh, in their groups. We, we do ask that uh, you would give them great confidence in the risen Jesus and that all of them would come to know him for themselves. Help the Sunday group teachers to, to, to teach faithfully and clearly and we pray that your spirit would be working in not just in our hearts but the hearts of uh, all those in this building. So Father we ask uh, this morning that you would be at work uh, in us and uh, that you would speak to us for your glory. Amen. Well, just have a look at this picture. Um, I'm sure it won't take you too long to work out where this is. Any ideas? Yeah, that's right. It is uh, Campbell. Uh, that's where we are right now. Uh, and we, we are in a school in Lower Campbell, probably around 50 of us, I imagine, in total, singing about Jesus, celebrating the good news of Jesus. Here we are. We're surrounded, uh, we're 50 of us here, but we're surrounded by 10,000 people who don't know Jesus. Uh, here is a picture of the UK, which I'm sure you, you are familiar with. Uh, the one on the left shows the UK in 2001, and then you have it again just 10 years later in 2011. And the colour purple shows you the percentage of people identifying themselves as Christians. So the darker the purple, the more people saying, yes, I'm a Christian. Now, of course, people say they're a Christian without even knowing what that means. But regardless of what it means to people, I guess you see here the idea of Christianity literally fading away. An increasing, uh, increasingly secular country. Uh, on Tuesday evening, we, were, we had some prayer meetings over the summer, and we were praying for the countries in red. Any, any ideas of what they are? Anyone who is, who is there can remember? Go on, Nick. Uh, yeah, we were praying for North Korea, specifically. Uh, all the countries in red uh, there are collectively known as the 1040 window, an area 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator. And what it, what it is, it's an area that contains 5 billion people, over 5 billion people, over 8,000 people groups that do not know the gospel. And more than that, have no access to the gospel. There's no churches, there's no Christians who can take the gospel to them. It's an area that's considered unreached. Now, 
I'm giving you all of that. I wonder how you feel if I told you that it was our job to take the gospel to those people. The 1040s, people in the world, to the UK, and the people around us in Cabron. How would you feel? Why don't you have a chat, 30 seconds on your tables, and then we'll get some feedback. So how do you feel about me saying, it's our job to take people, take the gospel to all of those people? Okay, for 30 seconds, how would you feel? Well, thanks, Tim. Uh, what do we think? How do you feel? Just, just, just chuck, some, chuck some responses out. Impossible. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Impossible. Glad you said that. Daunting. Daunting. Thank you. Yeah, daunting. Anything else? Scared. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Scared, full of fear. Any others? Anything different? Yeah, right. Yeah, they're actually not careful enough about this. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah. I, I, I guess my, my, my first response, when we look at that situation, I, I, I guess we pray and we're fearful and we're daunted because actually um, it seems impossible, doesn't it? It seems impossible. And yet, it is our job to do this. Just have a look in your passage at verse 8. Verse 8 says, this is Jesus speaking, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what we have here is Jesus giving his followers a task, a new job, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to Campbell, to UK, to the, to the world. And if this is what we're given to do, then a better question perhaps than how do we feel is why do we struggle? Why do we struggle? What, why am I not more, if this is my job, why am I not more active in this? Now in one respect, there's a different question, but the answer is the same, isn't it? Because it feels impossible, because I'm full of fear, because I'm daunted. And never mind looking at the vastness of the 1040 window, it feels impossible for me to share the gospel with the guy right in front of me. You know, to take it to my next door neighbour, or my colleague at work, or even someone in my own family, you know, I'm given that job and yet it just feels so difficult. It feels like a job I cannot do. I guess that is how the followers of Jesus could have felt here, isn't it? You know, verse 8 is not written directly to us. It instead is spoken to 11 very ordinary men who've been following Jesus. And we're at the point here where Jesus leaves them, having spent years with them. He's now going back to heaven. Just before he does so, he says, look, you will be my witnesses. Take me, take my gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, of course, they could have felt the impossibility of 11 guys at this point. The possibility of this job could have just shriveled up and, and, and hid themselves. But they don't. As we work through Acts this year, we'll see that these 11 men do take the gospel out. And we will see then, uh, as you rightly said, that uh, it is possible for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. We'll see that it's possible for people like you and me, very ordinary people, to take it there. And our passage this morning is written to give us great confidence in that task, to do that job that we've been given, not because of us, 
not because there's anything special about us, not because we're gifted in any particular way, not because we're a certain type of person, not because the task is made any easier. No, we're given confidence because we, what we see here is the task is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and so our confidence is not in us, it's in him. And uh, we see four things this morning that give us confidence in taking this gospel out. Uh, that give us confidence in Jesus. Four things, and the first is this, that Jesus is the risen king. Jesus is the risen king. It's the first thing we see. Now, we're told this as the writer Max introduces this book. <clears throat> and as he does so, it turns out that actually he's written a book before. Just have a look at verse 1. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So this person has written a book before to a guy called Theophilus, and that means the author of Acts is Luke. Um, and the former book is Luke's Gospel. So this is kind of Luke 2, if you like. Um, and if you look at the introduction of Luke's Gospel, it starts in a very similar way. He addresses a friend called Theophilus. And what he says here is that in that Gospel, in that former book, Luke wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, if you read Luke's Gospel, you will see a record of Jesus' life, and the things he did, the things that he taught. You will see a record of his death, and you'll see a record of his resurrection. And Luke is saying here that that is what Jesus began to do. So here then, in the book of Acts, we find what Jesus continues to do. Jesus is still at work. Now it's clear here that he'll be taken up to heaven, and his intention then is to work through the people who've been following him. They're called his apostles. Just have a look at verse 2. So all that Jesus began to teach until the day that he was taken up, verse 2, into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom you have chosen. So these are the people that have seen Jesus, and what Jesus is doing is leaving them with instructions. We know that verse 8, he's going to give them a job to do, but before we get there, the key thing is to see that the one giving instructions is the risen king. Just have a look at verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So you see, Jesus has suffered. He's been nailed to a cross for our sin. He's risen back to life, having defeated death. And now he appears to his followers. They see him as the risen king. And that's why he speaks about the kingdom of God. It, the kingdom of God is not a, a physical place, but it's, it's something that people come into when they turn to Jesus as their king. Now that he has risen, his kingdom has arrived for all to come into. And that is great news, and it is abundantly true. One famous uh, philosopher once said, God is dead. 
and people have been saying that ever since. You see it appearing on T-shirts and all those kind of posters and that kind of stuff. But, but the apostles here, they saw him alive, didn't they? Jesus gave them convincing proofs that he really did rise from the dead. And so, of course, they are given great confidence that he really is the risen king. Confidence to tell others that. Yeah, that's why they go out. I guess that's always the case, is it, when something, somebody has seen something happen that's important. So over the holiday, um, uh, Susan and I quite randomly watched uh, uh, one of the Spider-Man films. I don't know which one it was, or whatever it comes in. Uh, it just happens to be on TV. And at one point, what happens is Spider-Man sees firsthand that his enemy is planning this kind of terrible uh, destruction of wherever they are. And... What he does is he goes to the police and he says, look, you need to do something about this. Something bad is going to happen. I have seen it. He tells them because he's he's convinced, because he's seen it. And the apostles here, they've seen the risen king. And so throughout Acts, they go out and they declare this because they know it's true. They go around saying, we've seen the risen Jesus. You need to turn to him. He really is the king. And because these words that the apostles say have been written down for us, for us, it's not just this passage, but actually the whole book of Acts will give us great confidence that no matter how insignificant or weak we feel, this is the truth. That Jesus is the risen King. And the very fact that he is arisen and is alive today means that he really is still at work. Now, of course, he uses people in his grace. But what we will see very clearly in Acts is that the risen Jesus is behind it all. Some people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles, suggesting that it it is about the stuff that they did. But a much better title, I think, is the acts of the risen Jesus. He is at work as the risen King. <coughs> and as the one who gives them their instructions, <coughs> the second thing we see this morning is that he gives them specific instructions. second thing we see is that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. This is the second thing we see. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Now, we've heard about uh, how Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God. And what happens now is is Luke kind of zooms in into one conversation to give us some specific detail. And what we see is, what Jesus is talking about is is the Holy Spirit. He promises that to his followers. Just have a look at verse 4. On one occasion... While he was eating with them, that's the apostles, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, uh, sorry, for John baptised with water. But in a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus promising this. Now to, to be baptised in the Spirit simply means that you fully receive the third person of the Trinity. So God himself comes to live inside you. It's what Jesus is promising here. But we see also in verse 4, don't we, that it's the promise of the Father. 
This is not new, what Jesus is saying. It was promised in the Old Testament through God's prophets to his people. So, uh, we, we see here in Ezekiel 36, um, you should see the words on the screen, you don't have to turn to it, but this is, this is one place where the Holy Spirit was promised by, by God the Father. He says here, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So you see, what Jesus is promising here, what was promised by the Father, is the power for God's people to do what they've been asked to do. The power to obey Jesus. And we've seen this in verse 8, the power then to take the gospel out, to do what he asks us to do. We have the power to do that. Now in chapter 2 we see this happen. The, the apostles receive the Holy Spirit. It, it happens once in a very unique way. And as soon as they receive that Spirit, almost straight away, they start proclaiming Jesus is the King. Uh, now for the apostles here, I guess it's, it, you know, it's just like you get a, it's just like it is when you get a new job, isn't it? You walk into a new place, you know what you've been asked to do, but a good workplace and a good boss will not leave you on your own. They will give you everything you need to get on with your task, the right equipment uh, to carry out the job at hand. And that's what's going on here. The Holy Spirit is given so that the apostles can do their job. And the encouragement for us is that whilst the initial outpouring of the Spirit was a one-time event, it's now given to everyone who trusts Jesus. So once he is your king, the Spirit lives in you, and works in you, giving you a new heart with the desire and the power to obey him. And particularly, the power to declare him as king. So look, if you're anything like me, you can so easily shy away from that. You know, I, I, uh, I cycle regularly with a, uh, a non-Christian guy, I went out with him, uh, last Sunday night, the cycle. Uh, the last thing I wanted to do was talk about Jesus. I was, I was thinking, I, I just, you, did, you know what, this guy's heard me talk about Jesus so much that I, I, just, I just don't want to do that anymore. I really didn't want uh, to do it. I really didn't want to take any opportunity that came my way. That's the case with so many of us, isn't it? We, 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 we don't know what to say, we fear rejection, or we just don't want to talk about Christ. We are weak people. And yet we see here that the confidence is never in ourselves. It is in the power of God himself. Because we have the promise of the Spirit. And so with everything we need, we then have this job to do. Jesus is to be made known. This is the third thing we see this morning. That Jesus is to be made known. 
Jesus is to be made known. So having shown himself to be the risen king, promised the spirit before, the, before uh, any task is given, the apostles have a question. Just have a look at verse 6. Uh, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now that might seem strange, but actually it's not such a dark thing to ask. So if you were to go home and read chapters 36 and 37 of Ezekiel, you will see that the promise of the Spirit comes in the midst of a promise of total restoration. So restoration for the people, for the land, they are one nation under one king. And so the apostles are kind of asking, well, is this it? Is this the end? Yeah, this is the time where Israel will reign on the earth with God. It seems like that, that's what's about to happen, but Jesus doesn't answer their question. Now, he doesn't rebuke the idea of restoration. There will be restoration, as Jesus proclaims, on one level. But rather than being concerned with times and dates about the end, they are told to refocus, refocus on the fact that they have a new job to do. Just have a look at verse 7. He said to him, he said to them, so Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but focus on the job. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. So don't worry about the end, be my witnesses. In the power of the Spirit, be my witnesses as the risen King. They are told to take the gospel out to one city, two regions, and then to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. Jesus is to be made known. Now, I said in the introduction that the apostles could kind of crumple at this point, but, but they don't. What, what, what Jesus says happens, what Jesus says here actually happens. So geographically, verse 8 gives us very clear markers through Acts. You see the gospel proclaimed in Jerusalem, then it's taken out of Judea and Samaria, and then eventually it ends in Rome, which is, is kind of cast to the end of the world. It's where the Gentiles are. And, and there, Paul is in prison right at the very end of the book, and yet he's still proclaiming the gospel with boldness and without hindrance. And as we read the, that final verse, and then we go into the New Testament, it's clear that actually we are to carry on making Jesus known. So we are not the witnesses in the same way that the apostles were. You, know, you and I have not seen the risen Jesus firsthand. But one of the reasons that their eyewitness testimony is written down for us is so that we can point people to it. Now what was the apostles' job has now become ours. We can say, look, people really saw the risen Jesus and, and proclaimed him. And I now believe in him. I'm proclaiming him. I'm telling you, these people saw him and proclaimed him. We now have the job of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, it's worth saying that the, the geography here is not symbolic. Some people think that. I, I don't agree. So it's not the case that Camborne is our Jerusalem. Okay, or Patworth is your Jerusalem. And the UK is our Samaria, and the 1040 window is the end of the earth. I, I hope I didn't give you that impression with the, the introduction. No, in Acts, Jerusalem is Jerusalem, and Samaria is Samaria. So Camborne is the ends of the earth. 
I guess that means wherever we proclaim Jesus, whether we move on from Campbell to a different part of the UK, or whether we go with somebody who goes into the 1040 window to share the gospel, or whether we just share it here with our neighbour for the rest of our lives, we are taking Jesus to the ends of the earth. And the encouragement here for us is the very fact that we exist as a church. The very fact that the gospel has reached this place says to us there is nothing that can stop it. There is nothing that can stop the gospel reaching the ends of the earth. Jesus is behind it. Jesus is still at work. It is taken to people in the power of God, and so nothing can stop it. We will see that very clearly throughout Acts. As Jesus is proclaimed, people are convinced that he really is the risen king. We see the most unlikely people turning to him. More than that, we see churches being created and communities being changed. Now, at the same time, we see that some people hate it. There are riots and there is persecution. Followers of Jesus are put in prison and followers of Jesus are murdered. And yet, when that happens, it only ever causes the gospel to grow. Now, the, the, the good news about Jesus is, is a bit like a beach ball in a swimming pool. You know what I mean? Where you, you kind of get a flexible beach ball and you play that game where you try and kind of push it down as hard as you can underwater. And you know what happens, don't you? You know, it doesn't matter how hard anyone tries, you cannot keep it down. Again and again, the ball just comes back up. And the further you force it down, the more forcefully it comes back up. That's the gospel. It is unstoppable. Now you'll hear that a lot over these coming months because it's the title of this series, and I think it's the point of Acts. But this gospel, you cannot stop it, and it is wonderfully true and encouraging. And so when we look at the 1040 window, we don't despair because verse 8 says that one day the 8,000, the 5 billion unreached people groups will be reached. As you look down the street, and it seems so impossible to say anything to those who don't know Jesus. Please remember and be encouraged that the gospel reached you. That somebody told you the gospel and you believe it. That is nothing short of a miracle. And that is verse 8 in action, actually happening. Someone brought the gospel to you. It reached you. And so even right here and now, we have the confidence that Jesus is still at work. We have the confidence to tell that person that just seems so difficult to reach. doesn't mean we'll necessarily have success. We may face rejection. But nothing can stop the gospel. So we must keep doing that, we must keep sharing it until Jesus returns. Here's the last thing we see this morning, that Jesus will return. 
Jesus will return. So, having given the apostles their new task, what happens is Jesus now leaves. He goes away. Suddenly, in verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So he is no longer with them. They can no longer see him. And yet the promise here is that one day he will return. See then verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, for him to come back in the same way simply means that just as they saw him, they saw him go, just as it's clear for him to see, for them to see, it will be abundantly clear when he comes back. So in fact, the Bible promises that, that when Jesus returns, every eye will see him. And so the, the apostles are not to worry or wonder about, you know, when he's going to come back or how he's going to come back to keep looking into the sky wondering what's happened. No, they are to trust that Jesus will return and in the meantime, get on with the job that they've been given. Now, I guess the situation here is, you know, it's a bit like uh, that time at school, isn't it? We, we all kind of know that, where uh, the teacher sets us a task and then she leaves the room. And she tells us that she'll be back. And you know she'll be back. And so there's no point kind of watching the door, wondering whilst you mess around. The best thing you can do is just get on with the work. And that is, that is where we are right now, isn't it? You know, Jesus has been raised. We have the Spirit. We know what to do. And for every day he does not come back, we need to make him know. Now, we don't do that out of fear. That's where my kind of teacher illustration falls down. It, Jesus is not like a teacher who will be really angry if he catches us messing around. It's not like that. No, we do it by faith. We get on because every day that Jesus does not return is a day where sinners can turn to him. Where sinners can know his salvation. Because when he comes again, they, they won't have that opportunity. When he comes again, he'll judge. And those who found trusting in him will be with him forever. Those who found rejecting him will know his wrath. And there'll be no turning back. And so right now, now, I, I would say to, to, to any of you, if you do not know Jesus as your king, if you've not given your whole life to him, please turn to him now. He, he died that you might be forgiven and he would raise again that you might have new life. So turn to him, put him as your king, and for the rest of us, we need to make him name. Of course, there will be times where we long for the return of Jesus, and that's a good thing, that's right. But for now, view every day as a gift. Every day is an act of mercy where He can be made known, where He's willing to work through you to save desperately lost people. View every day as a gift, and then by faith, and as a church, we get on with making 
Jesus. Father, we praise you that your son has defeated death, that he is the risen king, who is now seated at your right hand and who is still at work in this world. Father, praise you that you wonderfully use us and give us everything that we need to proclaim him. And whilst we know that we are full of fear, we know that we lack confidence, Father, we know that we're so weak, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would give us the faith to make Jesus' name. Until he returns and for your glory. Amen.